you pray with me? Holy God, we do worship you this morning on this Pentecost Sunday. We ask for a fresh wind of your spirit to birth in us again that life that can only come from you. We come in worship bringing our hearts and our lives, the good, the bad, even sometimes the ugly, and we know that your grace is sufficient to wash us clean again. We ask this morning, God, as we look into your word, that you would speak through your spirit to each one of us. Speak what we need to hear. Speak what is true so that we can be changed from the inside out to be your people in this place. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. It is good to be together to worship God in the middle of springtime. And springtime often means getting out into the garden and planting new things. And many of us were able to come to church yesterday for an all-church work day. And if you missed it, you missed a wonderful, fun day of getting out and cleaning up the property. And we had the Mission 45 Overnighter, which our fourth and fifth grade kids were able to participate in and to help out with doing mission projects. And we had a mission uh, team car wash raising money for the mission trip to Black Mesa, Arizona to work with the, uh, the Navajo Nation there, and it was just a wonderful day of being able to go out and be in a little bit of the rain, but it was also a wonderful day to work out in the cool air and to be together, uh, and so it was really fun. A, a huge thank you to all of you who came out and uh, who led projects and who planned and coordinated all the effort. Uh, One of the things that our Mission 45 kids did is they planted some new flowers around the church sign out here uh, by Valley Road. And I was noticing as they were digging in there how rich and deep and uh, kind of uh, the soil was that they were planting in. And it was reminding me of some times we did some planting back in Phoenix where uh, digging in the desert is not always all that easy. In fact, uh, you can kind of dig down a, a little ways with a shovel, and pretty soon you, you find that your efforts are just not producing any results, and you can just keep digging with that shovel. But what I realized and uh, learned later on is you have to go to Home Depot or Lowe's somewhere, and you have to buy what they call a digger bar. I don't know if you know what a digger bar is, but it's about this 20-pound steel rod with this like chisel end, and you have to get down into that hole, and you have to just... And just break up the soil, and oh, it's like effort and work. But having the right tool allows you to accomplish the job because you can sit there forever with the shovel and never get down deep enough to to plant what you want to plant and to produce a garden in the midst of the desert. And that's in many ways what God wants to do with our lives as well. He wants to plant His Spirit in our hearts, to plant His Word in our lives so that it produces a fruitful life of righteousness. And that's what we've been learning about from the letter of James in our series on faith works, that God desires us to experience a harvest of righteousness in our lives. And that's part of our job as a Christian community as well, is we all together are the soil in which God plants the seed of his word and so that we can produce the kind of lifestyle that becomes a testimony that he is a good God and that he loves us and he loves really the whole world, right? It's his creation. We are all his people, and he wants everyone to know the good news that he is available to be in relationship with us. 
As we continue the series this morning in the letter of James, James is going to talk about in chapter 3 that there are really two kinds of wisdom that we can apply in our lives or two different kinds of tools that we might bring to our spiritual lives. And one and the other produce very different results. And so this morning, I'd like to suggest that he is going to be encouraging us to make sure that we're using the right tool to get the right kind of results that we want in our spiritual lives. We're going to pick up in verse 13 of chapter 3, where he says, kind of a rhetorical question, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such quote-unquote wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. In verse 13, James starts off by asking this kind of teacher's question. A rhetorical question is always intended to get us thinking, to, to ponder, well, well, what is the answer to, the, to that question? Who is wise and understanding among us? Is it me? Is it you? How do you know who is wise? How do we know who to listen to? How do we know who to follow? How do we know which teachers, which leaders are leading us in the right direction and which ones might be leading us off track. And James is suggesting for us this morning that a wise person in God's eyes and one that we can look for is a person of humility. That humility is a characteristic that marks the kind of wisdom that comes from heaven. If you look at the worldly wisdom, you don't see a lot of humility being advocated in the world, right? It's just the opposite. The world suggests that you should be proud, that you should be aggressive, that you should be a strong leader and dictate everything to everyone else because you have the power to get it done. And those who live life that way, our culture lifts up and says, yes, this is how you live life. Let's follow this model, this example. But James says that humility is the characteristic of leadership that comes from wisdom. And we learned earlier in the letter that this kind of wisdom comes only from God. Godly wisdom brings humility and leads to a faith that demonstrates itself in deeds of love and kindness. And this is the the good life, he says. If you want to live a good life, live a life that is patterned after the character of God. Because, he says, God is good. And so if you want to live the good life, then live a life that reflects the character of God in your relationships with one another. God's goodness was demonstrated by his willingness to send his son Jesus to to forgive us for our sins, to, to overcome even death itself, to invite us back into relationship with him in spite of anything that we've done. It doesn't matter what sins you've committed. It doesn't matter what mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter what relationships you've been a part of decimating and destroying. God says that his love is able to wash all of that away and to put us on a right path to experience the good life that he wants each of us to experience. A good life is a life patterned after the heart and the character of God himself that he's revealed to us 
through the person of Jesus Christ. So James here offers us a series of clear contrasts between two kinds of wisdom, a wisdom that comes down from heaven, from God, or a wisdom that the world will advocate that we follow in order to find the good life. Last week, we learned in the earlier portion of chapter 3 that the, the problem of false teachers is that they use words that misguide us, and if we believe them, if we put stock in their teaching, in their leading, in the direction they're leading us, we can get off track on the pathway of life, and we experience not the, the good life or the righteousness that God desires, but we experience discord and disintegration, and we experience the difficulties that God would like to see us avoid. James said that this kind of uh, language, this kind of leadership, this kind of teaching can be a fire that can set a whole community ablaze with the kinds of things that lead to dissatisfaction in life. In contrast here, James is now wanting to lift up the wise leader, the wise teacher, the person who is a model to follow. And that this wisdom that comes from God contrasts with this worldly wisdom and those people who, even in the church, just don't seem to get it. He also continues to highlight for us that there is a source of evil in this world that wants to fuel the flames of how we lead and teach and the kind of wisdom that we pursue. And he says that even within the church, we can be exhibiting behaviors that are earthly, unspiritual, and he even goes as far as to say demonic. I remember one uh, conversation we got into in the church in Phoenix where we were doing ministry and we're going, you know, 10 ways from Sunday and doing all this stuff. And, and all of a sudden, it kind of dawned on us as a staff. We started sitting around talking about realizing how busy we are doing ministry. And we said, you know what? Look at, we're looking at the culture around us and how busy and frantic and hectic we are as Americans, running everywhere, filling up our schedules to overflowing, and just being so busy I wonder if busyness in American culture could be a strategy of the demonic to distract us from relationship with God. And the more we began to to think about that and reflect on that, the more we kind of resonate in our hearts, yeah, what better strategy could the enemy use than to convince us that we need to pursue so many good things that it, we, get, we get so caught up in the pursuit of all these good things that we, we miss God. We, we forget about God. We don't spend any time seeking God or, or, or talking to God or listening to God. And pretty soon you find that you're down this pathway of life and, and you look around and you go, where did God go? Have you left me, God? Have you given up on me? Where is God? All the while, God's going, I didn't go anywhere. I've been right here all the time. You left me. And James is wanting us to understand that there's a wisdom that comes only from heaven that guides us in the polar opposite direction from the direction that the world would like us to go. To help us understand this, he gives us these two contrasting lists, a list of some vices and a list of some virtues. And and these vices and these virtues can be signposts along the the journey to help us understand if we're going in the right direction or not. In verse 14, he lists two vices that he calls bitter envy and selfish ambition. 
And he says, these two vices come from an evil place, and you need to pay attention to whether or not you're allowing these to find a place in your own heart, in your own thinking. If we think about what envy is, it's, it's wanting everything that we don't have, right? It's looking around at the world and seeing what other people have and, and wishing we had what they had and, and, and envying all the things that we don't have rather than learning to, to be satisfied and, and happy with what we do have. And that might be envy of somebody else's power or position or their status in our, in our company or our workplace. It might be somebody else's wealth or, or another person's popularity or their good looks or their physical attributes or it might be the possessions that they have or it might be the relationships that they have. There are so many ways that we look at the world around us and we, we look with dissatisfaction at our life because of all the things that we don't have rather than learning how to look at what we do have and be thankful and grateful for the things that God has given us because God has given us his very self. What more could we need in order to learn how to be happy? And that envy leads to the second vice he calls selfish ambition because if, if we're focused all of the, on all the things that we don't have that we want, then, then life becomes about gaining all the things that we don't have. And, and our ambition is for, for ourselves to gain more of those things. And, and we get so distracted from the kinds of relationships and the pursuits in life that God would have us do because we've become so self-focused in getting all the things that we think are going to make us happy but ultimately lead us away from God. Both of these, he says, are a result of a false wisdom and potentially false teaching from people who just don't get it. And he also reminds us again, as we have talked about before, that these kinds of things, envy, ambition, selfishness, they don't start out here, they start in here. And so if we want to be looking where these signposts are and to know if we're going in the, in the right direction, we have to stop long enough. We have to reflect long enough. We have to be honest with ourselves long enough whether or not we are living with these things within ourselves. Even as Christians and even in the church, do we very, in very subtle ways live with envy and selfish ambition and looking to get our own way and our own preferences? Or do we have the character of God where we're looking to live out our faith with deeds that speak the language of love and mercy and grace to those around us? In verse 16, he goes on to talk about how envy and selfish ambition are ultimately what lead to disorder in community life. If you're experiencing discomfort and disintegration in your church or in your marriage or in your workplace, don't look, you don't have to look very far to look under the surface to probably assume that it's being driven by these kinds of vices that we are harboring in our hearts as human beings. When we experience when our experience of life together, whether it's in family or in our neighborhoods or in our nation, becomes disrupted, disordered, disintegrated, it all comes from the fact that we have allowed these things to find root in our minds and in our hearts, that the wisdom that we are pursuing is not a wisdom from God, but is a wisdom of the earth. It is an unspiritual wisdom, or in worst case scenarios, it is even demonic, and we don't even realize that we're being duped by the enemy. This is why it's so important, James says, that we understand what he means when he says faith without works is dead. 
Because it's not about a works righteousness where we have to earn our way to heaven. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about a, a faith in God means that we allow the wisdom of God to be what guides and directs us. And if our wisdom is truly from heaven, then it will demonstrate itself in a lifestyle that looks like the life that God has demonstrated for us in his son Jesus. The wisdom of God will transform our hearts and lead to the kinds of behaviors and lifestyles that give evidence of God's transformation within each one of us. In contrast to the false wisdom of this world, he says true wisdom, this Sophia in the Greek, comes from God himself and produces godly characteristics in the heart of a person that lead to a life of godly character. And then he goes on and he kind of reminds us of Paul's list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, right? He begins to list these virtues that are, are the opposite signs for us. Well, how do you know if you see a person who's following godly wisdom and is living the kind of righteous lifestyle that that God wants. He says, well, you'll, it'll, it'll first of all be pure. They'll be pure of heart. They'll, they'll have done this inner heart work, and they will have washed themselves clean of these vices that, that lead to destructive relationships. They will be peace-loving. They will be considerate, submissive, full of mercy, full of good fruit, impartial, sincere. These are not virtues that our culture lifts up, are they? I mean, just think about that list. Let's listen to it again. And, and how many places in our society, even in our own uh, you know, homes, do we hear this kind of a list being advocated as the things that we should be focusing on and pursuing? Purity of heart, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, mm. full of mercy, full of good fruit, impartial sincere. Man, those are tough ones if we really want to think about how do we begin to live that out in our day-to-day every relationships with everybody around us, even, again, starting in our own homes and right here in our own church. How, how do we begin to understand that this is, these are the kinds of virtues that lead to a healthy and a vibrant and a growing church that other people, when they come and experience it, will begin to go, wow, there's something different about these people. There's something different about this place. There's something different about that marriage. There's something unusual about that family that, that just rings true, that, that looks right, that feels like I want to know more. And part of the attractiveness of Christianity comes not from the intellectual statements that we can make about the truth of who God is, but it's the evidence of a transformed life that gives us the experience of the good life, the abundant life that Jesus said God wants us to have. These characteristics, he says, as he wraps up this section, are the marks of what he calls a peacemaker. The marks of a peacemaker. He ends with a wisdom proverb, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Now, in order to understand what he's saying here, we have to go back again to, to what this word peace really means in the Bible. If you go back to the Old Testament in the Hebrew language, we know that the word for peace is the word shalom. And the word shalom is so much bigger and, and greater than the word peace that we often use, which we often think of the absence of conflict or the absence of warfare, which is, which is a part of it, but it's so much bigger. The word shalom means to be whole, to be complete, 
to, to find your, your ultimate purpose in life and to be put together in the way that God had intended. It has a sense of harmony and everything working together just as it should. It's this idea of being in right relationship with God, with each other, and with the creation. When righteousness reigns throughout the land, then you have shalom. Because everything is healthy, everything is whole, everything is just the way God had intended it. And that's his vision for us. That is the the picture that he's revealed from the beginning of creation to the end of time. God, through the power of his son and the power of his spirit, is working out his shalom. Shalom makers who plant seeds of shalom in the soil of their lives and the soil of their relationships, produce the kind of harvest that God desires, the righteousness and the right relationship that he wants to see in our lives. And that's really what this vitality pathway is all about that we're walking as a church. We have embarked on this journey, this, this spiritual pathway of seeking God's Uh, guiding for us as we move forward as a community. And I don't know if you remember when we launched the series, uh, but we, we talked about how in order to walk this vitality pathway, the goal was really to allow the word of God and the spirit of God to turn up the soil of our church. to to go down deep and to allow the seed of his word and his spirit to implant itself in, in our lives in a new way so that what is produced out of the ministries of Faith Covenant Church comes as a sign of God's Shalom and his righteousness. Our desire uh, our, by choosing to walk this vitality pathway is that we want to be shalom makers. We want to be peacemakers. We want to be participants in this good news that the power of God is at work in the world to bring wholeness and healing and restoration to everyone who would desire to participate in it. Ultimately, we see that, that Jesus said true worshipers worship God in spirit and in truth, right? He told the woman at the well, true worshipers worship God in spirit and in truth. And as we seek God's word, and the truth of what God has revealed to us, we also seek his spirit and the power of the spirit that we heard about this morning in, that, in Acts chapter 2, where the, the birth of the church came when God's spirit descended and opened people's hearts and minds to understand this wisdom that has come down from heaven through Jesus that reveals to us the meaning of what God's word really is so that we can apply it in our lives. Allowing the Spirit of God to turn up the soil of our church really, again, comes back to you and me. I mean, that really becomes the practical application in all of this, doesn't it? If we want to allow God to to turn the soil of our church, to, to plant something new and to allow a harvest of righteousness to grow, what is the soil of our church? It's your heart. It's my heart. We are the soil, and if we are not allowing the wisdom of God to plant God's character in us so that we are on this journey together, what we will discover as we go along is we will continue to experience conflict and disorder and challenges in community. But if we will each be willing to step in and say, okay, God, me first, look at my heart. What do you see in me? Like the psalmist said, if, search my heart, O oh God, and let me know, is there any wicked way in me? Because I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be the obstacle. I want to be the participant. I want to be the peacemaker. 
And if we each are willing to do the hard work of our own spiritual work, then we come together in encouragement and empowerment and we celebrate the ways that God is transforming us from the inside out. And that is the whole reason why Jesus came and gave his body and shed his blood is so that we could live under a new wisdom, no longer following the wisdom of this world, but beginning to discover his power at work in our lives. Would you pray with me? God, as we come to this holy table of communion, we ask that you would be present, not only through your word, but through your spirit. That you would open our hearts anew to find ways that you are inviting us to put away selfish ambition, to overcome any envy that would lead us to a a selfish-focused life, even in our own approach to doing church together, God. God, would you forgive us for the ways that we have allowed ourselves to be distracted from you by our own busyness and searching out all these things that don't ultimately lead to the righteousness that you desire. And God, would you plant your word in us again this morning, a word that, that will grow and produce a fruitful harvest for your kingdom so that we can know that we are participating in your life through your son in this world. As we commune with you, God, would you unite us again to yourself by your spirit. In Jesus' name.